but not many of you know that I have Native heritage. It's not my obvious heritage, but it is still part of me. Um, and in the last few years, I've decided to try to understand more about who I am through my ancestors. I recently went to a water protector's camp and I learned a Cherokee prayer. And I'm going to show it to you um, before I actually really dive into my, into my sermon. And I thought quite a bit about whether I should do this because sometimes people are guilty of misappropriating things from other cultures. But this is my culture, and I want to share it with you. So the prayer goes. We come from greatness. We hold the greatness. We are the greatness. We return to greatness on my ancestors. I did quite a bit of traveling in August. I would see my son and his family and enjoyed my time in Tucson with my, my grandchildren. And one of the things that I'm trying to learn to do is to travel light. Okay. I see you know where this is going. <laughs> and then two days later, on my second trip, I made what I thought was a pretty good effort, especially because I was going camping. And it turned out I wasn't really traveling light. I had just stuffed a lot of things into a smaller suitcase. <laughs> I felt ready, though, for what was to come, but I had no idea how much I would be affected by this camp experience. Now, I didn't exactly know where I was going, but I was hoping it would be near Standing Rock Camp, Oseti, Sakawan, where I had answered a call a year and a half ago for clergy to protect the water protectors. I missed two flights trying to get out of Illinois. One because I set my clock for 4.20 and, but p.m., not a.m. Okay. And then the ticket agent told me, well, you could get to Bloomington and catch your, your flight to Chicago. So I dragged my luggage, which obviously wasn't that light. I got in my car, I, I rushed to Bloomington and dragged my luggage again and missed that second flight. So, so I missed the first day of camp and I had some grief about that because, you know, that's the time when people uh, join together and have rituals and it's the beginning of getting to know each other. Well, I was at Bismarck Airport for about six hours, um, 
waiting for someone to pick me up and, and three people came and we had dinner and we stopped at CVS for supplies and I forgot to bring a towel. Um, the unfortunate thing is I bought a towel but I had to give it away because I couldn't get anything else in my suitcase. <laughs> so much for traveling light. We eventually got on the road to camp and about 9 p.m. on a rural Route 24, we were making our way toward camp. There were four of us creeping along in a rental car, a little under the speed limit, and it's important that you know the races of the people who were in the car, not because it was important to us, but because any combination of anything but white and white attracts unwanted attention. We were two white, one black, and one brown. The driver of the rental vehicle was a UU minister who had come from the East Coast, and she had volunteered several times to transport people uh, from the courthouse because water protectors are on trial right now. So it was her job to get them from the federal building home to their reservations. Once she was stopped for not activating the turn signal a certain number of feet before moving into the turn lane. Did you know that was a lot? I didn't. I know now. She had picked up her passenger from a water protector's trial at the federal courthouse, hoping to get him home safely. They were stopped, they were both interrogated, and they were both shaken and afraid. The officer did let them go, but after that experience, she has continued to use extreme caution when driving. Another time she was stopped while transporting a native man, but this time the officer didn't even pretend to have a reason. He didn't have to. They all knew who had the power. This colleague told me that she thought she was beginning to understand phrases like driving while black. Well, we traveled along Route 24. They say route there. I say route, but there it's Route 24. And we saw lights reflected on the water, the Cannonball River, which runs through Standing Rock. I long to see the abandoned campsite and recall the road of flags. There were over 350 banners of native tribes there. And one of the things that was important for me when I drove down that road for the camp to look and see all of those flags lined and to know that my different heritages were at peace. Suddenly, out of the blue-black night, the brown woman, someone of Peruvian Indian descent, announced that deer were her talisman. Okay. 
Only a few miles later, deer started appearing along each side of the road. One here, one there, a buck with several points, a family of three with a little one. There were seven altogether. Their eyes were like beacons leading and welcoming us. They didn't seem to want to cross the highway, but stayed several yards off the out asphalt as if they were our honor guard. It was both eerie and magical. But suddenly we saw two white cars, two state troopers parking and clearing. And someone whispered, oh no, they know we're here. I thought to myself, thank goodness we are under the speed limit. Here turned out to be a fairly decrepit church camp that had seen better days. But there was running water and electricity, a few cabins, and a dining hall that were more than fit for use. About 10 people were in tents. I was not one of them. I stayed in the cabin because I needed to plug in my CPAP, so no roughing it for me. The group attending the camp was fairly small. I didn't know what to expect when I first came. I thought maybe everyone that had gone to camp uh, Standing Rock had been invited, but it turned out those who are invited are, were people who had done more work with water protectors um, over the year. So it was, the group was fairly small fluctuating between 25 and 30 people. Uh, most of the people there had been at Standing Rock or had taken part in planning of other water protector projects. There were several UUs, which made sense because at General Assembly in June, we adopted, adopted something called an action of immediate witness, which can be found on the UU Association's website where it says about this AIM, it honors the indigenous-led water protector movement and calls on UUs everywhere to engage in continued solidarity, especially considering the human rights violations of those who face federal imprisonment. We can't predict where our relatives will be serving their time. They won't be in Bismarck, that's all we know. That means in the coming months and years, depending on where you live, you could be needed to provide homestays for family members of inmates, to make prison visits to those who are miles from home, to write letters to those who are doing years of time, to donate funds or other supplies to those who support doesn't last because some of them are going to be forgotten. Always, one thing that we can do is to offer prayers. Unfortunately, with these acts of immediate witness, um, it's nice to acknowledge that there is an issue, but there's no funding. There's nothing uh, that comes from the UUA that helps. 
And it's, so it's a kind of a toothless dragon. But maybe some of us will be called on, on to write cards or send soap or something like that. At the camp each morning before breakfast, we gathered at the sacred fire, which had been tended all night in shifts so that flames would not go out, sage, tobacco, and a bowl with bits of food we were going to eat were, were laid by the fire to be blessed by the prayer. After that prayer, on the first morning, a male camper said to the lead water protector, whom I will call Jimmy, Jimmy, a woman tended the fire last night. Isn't that against the law? So there were chuckles. There were chuckles all around the circle. You know, it's interesting how when we are invited into someone's home, and we are asked to follow their traditions, that we may hold resentments that we just can't help expressing. Jimmy started talking in a voice that was both eerie and magical. I knew we were about to be taught something. Jimmy started talking about the medicine wheel, the four directions, and the elements of nature fire or sun, air, water, and earth. He explained that fire is the element associated with men and that water is the element associated with women. He went on to say that fire and water have been known to be somewhat incompatible. He thought maybe that was why men tended the fire, but he said he wasn't wise enough to understand all the ancient ways. Jimmy looked at the blushing camper and said, or did you think it was all about gender? There was silence around the circle. It is true that many of us who are feminists would disagree with a woman's place in many native societies, but maybe we need to not be so anxious to prove our superiority. The how and how we think helps us to be more considerate and compassionate even when we think we are right. Sometimes being right is not all it's cracked up to be. For most of the days there, we spent a bit of time exploring this statement, it's not what you think, it's how you think. It's how you do things, not what you do. And it took a while for me to get the idea straight in my head. And partly I think that was because I didn't see a significant difference in what I, what I did and, and how I thought. Partly because I am one of those two-leggeds who find it easy to operate with an agenda and a strict schedule. And although intellectually I agree that in order to work together in a world in which we thrive, we need to work together no matter our ethnicity, race, our class, religion, gender, or gender expression. And by the way, when I introduced Marcus, I said he, and I apologize because they, 
they, that is how they have chosen to be addressed. I have to ask myself, how much am I invested in winning rather than in the wholeness of the process? And I think a lot of us could ask ourselves that very question. Maybe we should take at what two-legged indicates. Not every human being has two legs, but we are all part of the natural world. And those of us who had Christian upbringings probably remember being told that humans have dominion over the earth, over the animals and the land and the mountains and the rivers. We can see how that's working for us now. Being a two-legged is one way of encompassing humans within the animal world, thus into nature, as a part of it. If we think more of how we fit into the natural order instead of how to control it, we operate within an entirely different set of paradigms. It's how we think, not what we think. One of our small group discussions was around this question. What is the priority, saving the water or saving the people? Well, we were at a camp for water protectors, so it wasn't surprising that most people said, saving the water, of course. Of course, my rather contrary answer was both. I've been to too many activist meetings when the group thinks their cause is the most important and do not want to consider or put any energy into any other position. Often but not always, in working toward clean air or water, consideration of black, brown, red, poor people is left out of the equation. Comments like, if we don't save the earth, it doesn't matter what happens to people, are a red flag. Leaving out the justice component for black, brown, red, poor people sounds like more of the same rhetoric that leaves many of us behind. I asked my group, what if we save water and only certain people are allowed to use it? We are already seeing how that works in places like Flint, Michigan, and we're hearing things like, maybe having water isn't a human right. Maybe water should be privatized so we know the value of it. How have black, brown, red people been protected through other private entities? It scares me to think of the direction these thoughts and actions are leading. And believe me, it is leaving, leading us in a direction that isn't necessarily moral or ethical, but it brings in the bucks. Each day had its own work to be accomplished but not in the way most organized or project development meetings occur. People were invited to 
come and pay what they could afford for registration. A married couple came early and helped clean and prepare the camp. Two women volunteered to do the cooking for each meal. We sat by the fire to chat, to pray, to meditate. We did yoga and took walks after breakfast, then focused on mindfulness and maybe a group activity. We had no expectation of reaching a goal, so how many of us in this room could stand to go for several days and not have a goal that we have to make, I think it would be uncomfortable for many of us. We compared colonization and decolonization and decided, yeah, we're in favor of freedom. But we're still living in a time of colonization. And we're living in a time where that colonization has stolen from our humanness, from humanness, from our lives, from our ability to thrive. Freedom, what a concept. Our purpose was to learn about each other and to notice how we think, to notice what it means to be thoughtful of others and not to call ourselves victors. We need to remember, it's not what you think, it's how you think. It's how you do things, not what you do. So let us go forward, learning to travel light and to love deeply. So may it be.